for me at the end of a retreat, I always found this particular sitting quite interesting. <laughs> Just to see how the mind state can change so quickly. I mean, maybe not for everybody, but certainly for myself, after engaging and talking, and the energy seems to change a bit in the body and the mind, and there can be much more buzzing and activity and uh, inability to concentrate. And we can see from that that even concentration, that development of the, the ability to be focused and one-pointed, even that is impermanent and impersonal. But that isn't even something that we can identify with and say, oh, now I have a, con- have a concentrated mind that even that is based on certain conditions and arises due to certain conditions in a lawful manner. And when we give ourselves supportive conditions to help the mind calm down and settle, then the mind becomes more one-pointed and concentrated. And when we're more active and engaged and talking and using more concepts, then the mind is less concentrated. And you can see that that even changes. Sometimes if you sit down and you want to write a letter or work on um, some uh, some computer work, then the mind becomes concentrated again, one-pointed again. And the more that we can be with these changes, both internally and externally, the less we feel pain in our lives. I mean, that's one of the main messages of the teachings, is the teaching of impermanence, anicca and our ability to really stay balanced and feel some calmness behind the changing condition. And coming to the end of a retreat is a really good time to reflect on this because we can see so easily how we do want to cling on to the quiet and the privacy and the space and the nature and (laughs) the supportive community the the beauty here. And if we do grasp on and and we're not able to let go of what happened here, we're going to feel some dissatisfaction. We're going to feel some agitation. So even coming to the end of the retreat, again, life is asking us to let go. (laughs) Let go. Let go of the old. Let go of all that's come before. And let's see how ready we can be, how receptive we can be for the next thing, for that which is new. So each moment we're asked to let go. And these are the teachings, the Buddhist teachings are the teachings of non-attachment, of non-grasping, coming deeply into the understanding of what is the condition that gives rise to suffering in our life and to see that we can let go. Stop clinging, stop grasping, stop holding on to the old, to the past, to that which is already finished. It was born, it had its life, and now it's time for it to pass on. Can we be there for the next thing, for the new thing? and trust that everything that comes to us is coming to us for a reason, for some purpose, that there is some, if we want to call it, divine intelligence. (laughs) There is some 
something, whatever, we, it's so difficult to give the label to that, that, <laughs> which is empowering all this. The more we see that it's not up to us, that there's something else that's empowering all this, we can let go into that and know that there is an intelligence. It's lawful. It's beautiful. And we can let go. Let go of our own limited ideas about what we think is going on. This is the meditation. More and more dropping into this spaciousness of mind, the receptive aspect of mind. As we deepen in our understanding, the concept of meditation starts to also change and lose its limited sense. Rather than just thinking that meditation is a time when we come and sit down in a particular posture and cross our legs, the whole day starts becoming a meditation. And we see that every moment is an opportunity for mindfulness. Every moment is an opportunity for wakefulness. We don't, it does not depend on a certain posture. Our bodies don't have to be curled up in a particular way for us to be able to turn the attention back, to focus back on ourselves and what's going on. And so people say, well, you know, how much time of the day should I meditate? And I always have to chuckle a little bit <laughs> inside because for me, there's never a moment that isn't meditation. You know, for me, it's just changing form. I, my body changes from this posture to another posture. I stand up, or I lie down, or I'm walking, or I'm sitting. But the posture doesn't affect the awareness. My ability to be awake and to be conscious, to be attentive to all the actions, everything that's going on. And the more that we cultivate that presence of mind, the attention of mind, that gets stronger, that gets reinforced, as I was saying last night. And it reinforces the force of that clarity, of the purity, and of transformation in ourselves. So, it's useful not to think so much about being on retreat or off of retreat on retreat and off of retreat. Because even this idea can start us grasping for the next retreat. You know, oh, I need another retreat. <laughs> When's the next retreat? But we can start bringing that attitude of mind, the meditative attitude, into all the things that we do. And then we're walking firmly, we're staying grounded on the spiritual path, on the spiritual journey then we can live consciously, live consciously with everything that we do. And we can bring our attention to all of our actions in the day. The foundation of the Dharma, the foundation of the Buddha Dharma, are the teachings of morality, of sila. It's sort of the rock that underlies all the other teachings. The five ethical guidelines that are said again and again. And they're said so often because they're so important. The guidelines around killing and stealing, sexual misconduct, lying, taking drugs or intoxicants that 
interfere with the ability to be conscious and alert and aware. And we can, the reason these are so important is because when we're not attending to these five, five areas, we can see that when we are acting in ways that are unskillful and somewhat harmful, the mind gets agitated, the mind gets confused, we get unsettled in ourselves, and it feeds the inability to be conscious and make wise choices in our life. And so the, more the Buddha laid out these five particular areas that cause the most agitation, cause the most um, difficulty in the mind that interferes with awareness, that interferes with concentration. And when we're doing things that are wholesome and skillful and loving, it actually brings more joy to the mind. It brings more stillness to the mind, and therefore we can see more clearly, we can make wiser choices in our life. So it's, again, it's, make, it's logical, it's rational teaching. It makes sense. So if we, if we watch these five particular areas in our life and watch them very closely, we can, it does help the mind feel more calm. We do start to feel more joy in ourselves. And then from there, we can go deeper into the more profound aspects of the teachings. So we look at everything that we do, and the meditation helps us to slow down to slow down, because it, by slowing down a little bit, it brings a bit more space so that we can watch where our intentions are arising from, what the, what's motivating this particular behavior or that behavior. When we're really caught up and we're speeding around, sometimes we can't really be so watchful in ourselves, although awareness doesn't have so much to do with speed. But sometimes it's helpful just to take a moment, take a moment before we eat and just reflect on what's going on for us. Take a moment before we speak. Take a moment before we act. This space of the mind, the space in the mind is a form of protection. It protects us from our own minds. It protects us from our own habits. And just be, and enables us just to maybe have a little bit more choice about the matter. How do I actually want to enter into this? Does this feel more skillful? Does this feel more loving? If I do this, is this going to be more destructive? Take, take some time before we act. And it can just be a moment. It can just be a second. Just getting that sense. And for me, this is really the listening. This is the, the dropping in into this space. It's really dropping into listening in a way, we might say, beyond the mind. I call it listening into the heart, listening to the quiet voices, the voices that sometimes we don't hear because the other thoughts and voices can be so loud, the habitual kinds of voices. And sometimes we just need to take some space Take a moment and be quiet and listen deeply. Listen deeply into the heart. What's really going on? What do I really feel? What do I really need right now? And when we can turn the attention deeper into ourselves, we may start to hear some yearning, some calling, some messages that we haven't really been able to hear before because we've been too busy or the mind's been too agitated. We've been too caught up. 
And this can really be the beauty of even taking time in the day to just sit down and do the meditation. Take 10 minutes, 15 minutes, an hour, whatever you can afford in your lifestyle, in your routine. Just stop. Getting into the formal posture in the day just helps us to stop. And it's really remarkable sometimes. We don't realize how we're being pulled, the current we're being pulled in, and how caught up we're getting sometimes. And sometimes when we stop, we allow more space in the mind, these quieter voices start to be heard, things we didn't really give ourselves time to think about or reflect on. And it's not that we have to push these thoughts away during the meditation, but more give, give the deeper yearnings, the deeper callings, space to arise. And then we can see them, and then we can let go. We don't have to do anything with them, but even through their arising, they're already doing something. The healing is already happening just through their presence, just through their manifestation. And they go. All thoughts arise and pass away on their own. But when they come, they make an impression, and then they pass away. It's all happening. It's all happening by itself. All we have to do is just listen in deeply, listen in really carefully to find out what's the truth of things. Because the mind can be so deceptive. The mind can be so misleading if we take it kind of superficially. So we're asked again and again, listen quietly. Listen to what's really going on. So we suggest to give attention to all areas of our life because in every, every area there is a possibility for teaching, a possibility for something to be reflected back to ourselves. The whole area around diet and what we eat, what kinds of foods we eat, and what, what effect do different kinds of foods have on us when we eat lighter and more in moderation? How does that make the mind feel? How does that make the body feel? What about when I take heavy foods or real sugary or fatty foods? What does that do to me? Does that get the mind more speedy, more agitated? Am I less focused? Am I less balanced? You know, we, can, we work with this, see how different things affect us. Taking exercise, keeping the body strong, fit, so that we have more energy to stay alert, to stay conscious. Everything feeds into everything else. Everything is related. Also, the choices we make around our work and our livelihood. Very important area. Are we involved in work that is actually helping people to come out of suffering? Are we doing, taking action in our work that is serving, bringing more harmony? Or are are we engaged in some kind of work that is actually feeding the destructiveness in some way on the planet? All these things need to be taken into consideration, not just for what they do to our own minds, but what's the effect that it has on others, the effect of my actions on other people? And since our work and our livelihood is such an all-consuming for many of us, it has been or it will be or it is, an all-consuming area, we put so much time and effort into our work, what kind of effect is it having? 
what's the consequences of our of our work, both in our own minds and the effect it has for others and to the whole globe the global atmosphere that we live in. And of course our speech. You know, speech is the Buddha in the text talks about speech so much that he even gave one of the Eightfold Noble Path just a speech. He said, why speech is an area that is going to help us bring about liberation if we are watchful around our area of speech. And of course, that's a, <laughs> that's a whole other category. I, mean, I, I thought at one time I would just do retreats on speech and communication um, there's so much to say about it and so much to learn about language and speech. And yet, for me personally, I feel I want to teach a larger perspective of the Buddha Dhamma. But I, I'm so fascinated with the area of language and speech. And um, I think it's something that we can all use more attention to because many of us haven't learned very very useful ways of speech from our parents and <laughs> and that's usually where we've learned how to how to speak and how to relate so it is an area we have to give much more attention to this whole area of space giving ourselves space giving other people space more and more this is what i see that the meditation brings us is a more spacious aspect of mind. We're able to be with things that are happening in a more spacious way. Over the week, we've talked about the emotions and giving lots of space to the feeling life and seeing how we judge ourselves and think we shouldn't be feeling certain things or acting in certain ways. You know? And we can see that this attitude of mind, of judgment, being judgmental and uh, having thoughts of ill will towards ourselves and criticizing ourselves, those thoughts, when they're identified with and believed in, they actually narrow the mind. They just narrow our focus. And they make us believe that that's the only thing that's true. That there's nothing else that's true but those aspects that we're focusing on and it it doesn't allow for us to see the totality the totality of our being so it's very important to be watchful of those narrowing kinds of thoughts of judgments and criticism and expectations and demand and see that they limit the space they close the space and in the moment of remembering in the moment of recognition and that sudden realization of being caught up and being involved, we can just, oh, right, there's more. Ah, breathe, open up, remind ourselves, like I was saying last night, that isn't the whole picture. (laughs) It's so important to say, right, it's not the whole picture. Whether it's a a view we have about something that's going on in the world or something we, some way we have an opinion about something we perceive, if we can just remind ourselves it's not the whole picture, (laughs) the mind gets very narrow. That is what the mind does. The mind focuses on one thing, and then it focuses on another thing, and then it compares and judges and 
decide and you know res- comes to resolution and but it's more it's bigger it's all much much bigger than how the mind perceives so space is a protection the more space we have in our minds the more spacious we are with ourselves and others it's a protection it's a protection against the pain and the reinforcing of the dissatisfaction in our life. So we see how spacious we can be with ourselves, with others. When we see somebody else getting caught up and all uh, constricted and narrow in their own mind, usually we get reactive and we want to change that person. You know, how can they be so narrow? How can they be so reactive? But when I see more and more how my own mind works and how, how I can get so easily caught up and confused in my own mind and possibly open up and, give, and forgive myself for that, it makes it easier to do that for others. And just to see, yeah, they're just going through the same thing. Their mind is just getting constricted. They're just getting caught in their own negative patterns. Can I be forgiving and allowing of them to go through that? So when we start to see what goes on in our own minds, then it helps us be, to be more spacious and forgiving of what goes on in other people's minds. And for me, it's been very helpful to remember that all beings want to be happy. That all living beings want to be happy. And the more I can remember that and focus on that, it really does give me a lot more capacity to be with other people's pain. So people ask, well, what can keep the inspiration going for the spiritual life after I leave a retreat when I'm living... You know, I don't have so much connection to people or the opportunity to go to retreat. How can I keep that energy going? Because we can see sometimes that as we get back into our lives, things can get busy, we can get consumed, and the sense of what happened for us here can just start to seem further and further away. And so it really is up to each one of us to take responsibility to stay connected to stay connected to the Dharma until that becomes so strong in us that we just are automatically making those kinds of choices in our life to be connected. But in the, in the beginning, when it's not so strong or when we don't have such automatic resources available to us to stay connected, we have to make an effort. And we have to make it a high priority item to keep that spirit alive in us, to keep ourselves nourished by the Dharma. And the way we do that is certainly through doing the meditation practice as often as you can, sitting down in the formal posture, taking time in the day, and reconnecting with that place inside that is in love with the truth, that does want to know the truth and stay connected to ourselves in that way. Just that remembering, stopping and remembering is a way of keeping ourselves connected. 
also doing the metta meditation any time through the days as I've been talking. You know, just remembering when you feel that moment of the mind moving towards a more negative habit. Just, all right, may I be happy. May I be peaceful. I have a friend who is in her 70s. She's been involved in the Dharma for about 20 years. And whenever I see her, she reminds me that one of her favorite things in the day is she goes swimming at the local pool. This is in California. (laughs) And she goes swimming at the local pool, and while she's doing her laps, she does the metta meditation. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. (laughs) And she'll do it towards herself, and then she'll do it towards another person, and then she'll do it towards another person. And the whole time she's doing her swimming, she's doing the metta meditation. And she says, it just gives her so much joy (laughs) when she's finished her swimming. And it's her routine every day that she makes sure that she combines her physical exercise with her metta meditation. I think that's so lovely. (laughs) We can be creative with all of this. It doesn't have to be like, oh, God, I've got to do my meditation again. You know, so often it can be just become another thing we have to do, you know. And it really can lose that sense of spirit, a sense of nourishment that it really is about. Mm-hmm. And we can include all of the um, disciplines. There's so much available to us. There's nothing that needs to be excluded from this. We can use psychotherapy. We can use the martial arts. We can use all the healing arts, dance, painting, music, all of it gives nourishment to the spirit. All of it is available to us. It's all ways of uh, helping us become more alive in ourselves and feel more joyful, more at peace. Anything that we find that serves and helps us, use it. That's why all these disciplines are available to us. There's nothing that we have to reject in these teachings. And probably the most important thing of all is the connection with like-minded people. With the connection with friends who understand and who are inquiring into the same truth, to want to know and understand the meaning of this existence. And in the time of the Buddha, Ananda, one of his servants, said, Oh, dear Buddha, isn't the association with like-minded people at least 50% of what this teaching is about? And the Buddha said, no, Ananda, that's incorrect. The connection with like-minded people is 100% of what these teachings are about. It is through the connection with the Sangha, the Sangha is the Pali word which means community of like-minded people, It's through that connection that really strengthens our um, spirit, our inspiration, our motivation, and keeps the questioning and the inquiry alive. And we need to be around people who who understand. We need to be around people we can talk to. Because these are very complex issues we're dealing with. We're trying to untangle a tangle of confusion (laughs) that many of us feel. And we need help. We can't do it alone. If we're isolated, if we're cut off, that's not going to serve us. 
It could even feed more confusion and more pain in ourselves. So it's very important to take the steps, to take action, to make connections with people. You can even create uh, situations where you, if you're going to do your meditation a couple of times a week, invite people over and say, I'm meditating at this time, come and join me. Let's meditate together. Find out who's interested, what people are interested around. And then you, afterwards you can have some discussion, some talk about what's going on for you in your meditation, what's happening in your life. Pull people together and then start to talk together more from the heart, less from the superficial way that often many of us meet together. This is a gift we can really give to ourselves. It's very important. Not to undermine in any way the importance of friendship, spiritual friendship. And of course, reading books, listening to tapes, um, going to teachings, if you see a teacher or, or, or a teaching that's going on nearby, connecting in, going to retreats, making retreat a, a, a rather frequent thing that you tap into, whether it's a day long, a weekend, or a longer retreat. There's so much that really is available to us when we open our eyes and when the inspiration's there. We can keep this spirit of inquiry alive in us. We need, as I said one night, we need to keep that flame alive, give that flame fuel. And it's this flame, it's this fire that will guide us, that will pull us to our goal, our goal of real, complete, and utter freedom in ourselves, freedom from the difficulty, freedom from the pains of life. And we can know a true joy, a real freedom in ourselves that we can't even imagine. So I think that's probably a good introduction. There's more and more and more that can be said. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.